2: Welcome to Bitches on Comics. I'm your host, S. E. Fleanor. I totally just was like, is it bitch on comic? Is it bitch on comics? Is it bitches on comic? That was wild. Um, it is bitches on comics. We keep it plural up in here. Um, I am S. E. Fleanor, and I like to use the pronouns they, them, because I like to keep it super plural. That's a joke. I don't know if anyone will get it, but it works for me. I'm pumped because I am here today with my truest love, the one and only Sarah Century.
1: Yes, it's me. I'm here again. Welcome it's me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm holding a bouquet of flowers right now, and I'm just so so thrilled to be here. So I have the great honor of introducing our guest for today, who is Izzy Wasserstein. It is so nice for you to be here. <laughs>
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I am <laughs> delighted to be here. It is so nice for me to be here.
1: It is so cool that you're here. I was waving my arms majestically while I was introducing you. So
0: I am talking with my hands right now. I don't think you can <laughs> hear that, but if you can, awesome.
2: I'm picturing it now though, and that that's, you know, that's a that's a comfort to my soul. <laughs> yeah. So, Izzy, we've never heard of you before. Just kidding. For listeners, for those of you who don't know, Izzy, well, A, is the fucking tits. And B, had a story both in our Decoded Pride issue one and most recently in Decoded Pride issue three. So we kind of, you know, we were laughing before we started recording because I was like, oh, we know Izzy. And Sarah's like, no, but we, like we, hi, Izzy, (laughs) nice to meet you. And I was like, oh,
1: that is a normal way to interact with people you've just met. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> what's that best friend and it's like the first time you've ever seen them
0: you know I like, like that energy though right like sure let's go for it let's just it's it's 2022 we don't have time to fuck around with like not knowing people yeah <laughs>
2: we're jumping straight to intimacy we want to know your soul <laughs> what is happening inside of you um you know keep it light we keep it light here at can Penis- the get comics. light is-
0: Perfect. I'm I'm here for it.
2: Yeah, Izzy, you really keep it light. That's you know, your stories are all real surface. That's <laughs> Freezy, sarcasm. <bouncy. laughs>
0: oh yeah, you know, everybody says about me just oh Izzy, your stories are just like cheery and light and never like massive <laughs> bummers in any way.
2: No ending is like, oh, who's more fucked? Me or you? <laughs> Oh my God, at the end of Hopper and the frying pan, when the narrator is just like, really, who's fucked? I was like, oh fuck, it's me. I'm the fucked one. (laughs) It's um, (laughs) me. Oh God, so funny. You know, any chance we get to talk to one of the creators we've worked with in the past, I mean, there's such an intimacy to editing someone's work, you know? It's like, oh, I'm in the words with you and I'm like, oh, this should be a period. Oh, what if this is a comma? And we're all like, oh my god, what if it is? <laughs> and like that's it sounds silly, but it it really is an incredible experience, especially working with someone as, you know, insightful and thoughtful as you, Izzy. So it's just cool to have you here. But we're also here to talk about something extremely cool that's happened recently for you, which is you have a short story collection out called All the Hometowns You Can't Stay Away From, which is a hell of a name. Yeah. And also the name of the first story. Is that correct?
0: That is correct. Yeah.
2: Okay. Mm-hmm. I was like, did I make that up? Um, <laughs> love to hear that I didn't. Fantastic news. It would have
0: been cool if you did, though. That's also fine. We could talk about stories <laughs> I didn't actually write, if you like.
2: Okay, well, that makes me think of the uh, the Atlas of Lost Places. Is that what it was called? I'm sorry, my brain. Place is
0: an atlas of non-existence.
2: Oh, uh, yes. Okay, okay, okay. Well, you know what? I can't. I can't. I'm going to go in 23 directions at once. Let me just <laughs> slow myself down. Uh, Izzy, how did you become such a fucking nerd? Like where did the nerddom <laughs> come from?
0: Um, you know, I it came from everywhere. Uh, <laughs> let, um so let's see where to start. Um uh my mom's training was in journalism and my dad's a statistician. So those are two pretty nerdy pursuits to begin with.
2: Absolutely.
0: And I grew up with like C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien and Comic books and role playing games, and so like, I mean, I think my most authentic self is probably nerd all the way to the core. Uh, so yeah, I am, I am a nerd in almost any way you could name, with the possible exception of having not seen a lot of Doctor Who. So that's sort of the one, mm. the one uh. exception.
2: You're going to have to go. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> fair. Yeah, that's fair. You know,
2: I've seen like, I'd say 25 episodes of Doctor Who, which feels like a lot until you think about how many episodes there are. Yeah. They're also randomly scattered, like from babysitting children who love Doctor Who Letting them watch entirely too much and their mom coming home being like, come on, dude. And I'm like, listen, I'm not a babysitter. I'm just helping you because you had to go to work and your kid was sick. I just happened to be in your house. <laughs> I'm just here watching Doctor Who with your child. I'm like watching Scary Doctor Who with this like way too young child. And I'm like, damn, you like this? She's, like, crying.
1: <laughs> like, you know what? That's that's a time I failed. I real fa- really failed as an adult. It, or did you succeed? Because that sounds like a success to me, personally. <laughs> I
2: mean, she's
1: a huge fan of me to this day, so I'll
2: take yeah. it. Yeah. See, there you go. Yeah, you know, all good.
0: All good.
2: <laughs> so what do you think was, like, your first... You know, you sort of reference a lot of different levels of nerddom, or you know, not not maybe not first, but one of your dear nerddoms. Like, you know, was it uh, you know Sailor Moon? Like, what are we talking about? What were you like? Oh shit, this is my jam.
0: I think that the maybe the deepest one for me is Star Wars. Mm. Um, some of my earliest memories involve watching the original trilogy, and as a teenager, I read as much of the old Star Wars Extended Universe stuff as I could get my hands on and played forever in uh, online Star Wars role-playing games, like text-based role-playing games. Like, yeah, it's uh, a little embarrassing in retrospect, but, you know, that's okay. I can, I'm I'm okay with that. (laughs) Okay,
2: well, are there nods to Star Wars in, in this collection, do you think? You know, that's a fantastic
0: question. Um, I think only insofar as, like, the fight choreography in Bladestones and the Weight of Centuries, like, in my mind, that could easily be a lightsaber fight.
2: Oh! I'm going to have to reread it now that you've said that. I'm like, oh, shit!
0: Because <laughs> things are better with lightsabers. Like, you know, I, I frankly should do more with them in my work.
2: Okay. Approved. Here is your stamp of (laughs) approval. Go forth and lightsaber.
0: All right. I am I, you know, I have a project right now that I'm going to see if I can figure out a way that there can be lightsabers in. Yes.
1: If you could write any Star Wars character, which one would it be?
0: Wow. Oh, I love that. Um, (laughs) You know, I, my dream reality would be to write Mara Jade back into canon in a way that I liked Um, so that's a deep pull for those of you who didn't spend their adolescence reading Timothy Zahn novels but um, you know I
1: miss Mara Jade though that was one of my favorite characters too I guess like that's like one of the franchise's favorite characters that isn't in existence anymore
0: I'm sure they've got plans to bring her back in some series that I won't have time to watch probably yeah but yeah that would be my pick
1: Sarah who would you rate Oh my God! It'd have to be Afra, probably. Oh I God! What a dick! I love her, love <laughs> her too much. Yeah, yes. Oh, or um, 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 Haldo, right? Uh, Leia's, ex. <laughs> <Yeah>. Leia's ex. Leia's <laughs> ex. Oh,
0: oh. You know, being able to write that into canon alone would piss off so many people that it would be worth any amount of difficulty to make Even, that happen.
1: Literally. If they were just like, you can have one panel of slightly implied subtext, I'd be like, that's cool. I'll take it. <laughs> That'll do. That'll do. And then I would use it as part of my resume for the rest of my life. So,
0: uh, that panel could just be your resume. But that's be like, it. I'm done. <laughs> Here it is.
1: Yep. <laughs> Actually, you can't hire me because I did this. Right. <laughs> I'm done. It's going on my tombstone. It's just <laughs> beloved. <laughs> Person who put this ship into semi-subtextual yeah. canon. <laughs> right,
0: and the description for the panel would just be like they make fuck eyes at each other. Yeah, and that's it. Right, like there is you it? go, boom.
1: And everybody is just like, "What are you talking about? There's nothing <laughs> gay about this." And I'm just like, "They looked at each other." <laughs> that's right.
0: That is correct. That is sapphic that longing. is the gayest thing is is sapphic longing. <laughs> that's right. Yes.
2: Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I would write triple zero, which means effectively oh, writing yes. Dr. Afra, because I am... Triple zero
1: is great.
2: I'm still a 13-year-old. Like, I think he's so funny. Like, he's him so being funny. very polite, torturing people, that cracks me up. That cracks me up. So that's who I would write because I, I also just, like, baseline the idea of making a C-3PO
1: who's, like... Evil. Murderous is so funny. It's so funny. Because he's still very organized about it. Sarah Kuhn's uh that uh Afro book that she wrote. The sound effects are so good, but the voice for Triple Zero, I was dying. Like just the (laughs) funniest dialogue I've ever
0: heard. I've got to uh, seek that out. Oh, that sounds great.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's Because they do a. It's like a YA novel, um, but they also do this, um, like, an audiobook version of it. And that is where it's at because <laughs> you get to read this person doing an incredible job doing an Afro voice, just completely insufferable and very charming. And then, um yeah, Triple Zero is so good in it. Highly recommend. Everybody go check that out. I read it yeah, uh, a few, I think, done. like, a few weeks ago and was just um, – walking around I had like a few errands to run so I was walking back and forth from like store and stuff listening to this Star Wars novel <laughs> <laughs> having the time of my life like I was enjoying it so much if people passed me by they probably were just like wow something she must have just won a million dollars like no nope. just really good voice acting <laughs> love this book <laughs> What's a million dollars
0: to great voice acting?
1: Exactly. Give all the great (laughs) voice actors a million dollars, the end. Hey everybody, it's me, Sarah Sentry. I've got some disappointing news for you. The last sandwich I tried to order, I was denied because they told me that they had no vegan options. Sadly, as a vegan, that left me feeling in my heart zero stars. I didn't rate them zero stars on Yelp or anything because I like to think that I'm a understanding person. Not everybody has to accommodate my diet. It seems weird if you're a sandwich shop that has like a hundred sandwiches that you wouldn't be able to. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, hey, everybody's just out here trying to live their lives. Sadly, I would have given them zero stars only in my heart. I'm not going to put that on them. Hopefully they have a great day. But (laughs) (laughs) if you're listening to this podcast and you find yourself not quite as disappointed as zero sandwiches. You could give us more sandwiches. Zero, one, two, three, four. And yes, folks, even five, you could give us five sandwiches, stars, ratings on the rate and review platform. So you could do that through all of the ones that allow that. (laughs) 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 I think that some of them don't. I know that I listen on something that doesn't allow you to rate and review, but there's other ones that do. So you could go to those ones and rate and review us if you wanted, just to, you know, you wanna keep seeing the content. <laughs> it's a podcast, so I don't know how you're seeing it, but you could keep seeing the content and, you know, rate and review us anytime you wanted, I guess. I withheld my last rate and review, but it was out of common decency. <laughs> Yes. I'm not going to say that we derailed this conversation, <laughs> but I am going to say... That I was I finding have, the segue. I was finding <laughs> the segue. But if you've got it, Sarah, you go. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm going to find a different rail for us to be on because I actually wanted to ask about Neon Hemlock because this press who put out your book, um, they put out so much cool stuff. So I wanted to ask kind of, uh, did you have like a history with them before? the book came to be? Or, um, you know, have you done like a bunch of reading through their archive? I was like looking through their back catalog, just being like, I want to order this and this and this and this.
0: Right. It's um, like I am famously among my friends, a slow reader. So I always have books stacking up everywhere. Yeah. And Among the many books that stack up are the many awesome Neon Hemlock books because I've read many of them and have many more to read um, because uh, somehow Dave Ring, uh, who's the editor there, is just like a powerhouse of getting these projects out into the world. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I have, I had been in a couple Neon Hemlock uh, projects. I had been in, uh, done like microfiction for them and some. Flash fiction for them for the their Glitter and Ashes um, oh, yeah. anthology, uh, which is really fun and cool if you like like queer stories about the end of the world. Um, it's There's all kinds of fun stuff there. Um, and then Dave had uh, heard me mention that I was putting together a collection, and he said, uh, you know, I'd love to see it when you're ready to start shopping it around. And so I sent it to him, and... He was really excited about it, and I really like the work that Neon Hemlock does. I think they're just kicking ass, and I particularly love the breadth of the kinds of stories they're putting out into the world. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Absolutely.
1: When well, and Dave, had, Dave Ring totally rules. Is that what you were going to say, Sarah? I was going to say that <laughs> we had uh, Dave Ring in the anthology, and his story is really great. It was, Wasn't it Volume 2 that we had? It was, Dave it was. In? So that was a great story, because whenever I read it, it's very sexy werewolves, and mm-hmm. I was just like is this too sexy? Like I sent it to Monica and SE, being like, can I get a second opinion on this? And they were just like, this is great. We're like, I was pretend. like, can, I was like, can we do a werewolf fucking story? Is that okay? And everybody's like, yeah. Like, we think course. it is. We're going to, yeah. let's do it. Let's just do it. Just do it. We'll do I was it. like, all right, because it's great. It's a really good story. So
0: yes. Um, Dave is amazing. And, um, It will, I think, embarrass him that I'll brag on him, so I'm going to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, he is also somebody who is, like, really out there doing the work of community, not just, like, uh, not just publishing things, but promoting marginalized voices and giving platforms to people who don't have it and all kinds of kick-ass stuff. Um, And I can say that, you know, it... uh, I want all of his sexy werewolf and sexy other things stories in the world. Yes, please.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I would read a whole book, honestly. Like that story was good enough. It's a I believe it was kind of a flash story. I think it was pretty short and it was just like, ah. Uh, <laughs> I would read this as a book. But he it's clearly has the best, you know, uh curation as well. Like really good stuff. So
0: And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I have loved so much of what I've gotten from this press, and I am very excited to see them keep going. So it's just kind of the best of both worlds that you all ended up working together on this book.
0: Yeah, I I thought it was, uh, it was really a perfect match. And, you know, I just... I'd encourage everybody to go out there and seek out their uh, titles and have a load of fun feeling queer feelings about things.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what happened to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's, that's how it gets you every time. There's, there's queer feels and you're up in them.
1: Yeah, I wanted also to ask about the cover. We're going to get into the stories, um, but this is a truly beautiful little collection. So I just wanted to kind of praise and admire the cover and ask how it came to be because it's just absolutely gorgeous. So I'd just like to hear what your thoughts are on it.
0: Yeah, um, somewhere there is a like 70 email thread of Dave and I talking about cover potentials and which artists we might seek out And lots of him being very tolerant with me as I suggested things that like Dave, who's got a much better visual sensibility than I do, was, you know, sort of kindly steering me away from. Um, (laughs) And then he sent me uh, Vivian's art and was like, what about this? And I was like, ooh, yes, please. And thank you. Um, And... Then so from there, it was uh, collaborative and like looking at sketches from Vivian and developing sort of the possibilities. And I just really love the multiplicity of these characters on the cover who might or might not be the same person.
1: Yeah, I also love the color palette of it because... I it just I think in that way it also looks very unique because it mm-hmm. just has these kind of muted purples and then the parts where like the purple actually kind of pops. You're just like, oh, that's it's such good contrast. I really think that this is one of the prettiest books I've seen in a while. So I appreciated getting a physical copy of it because I was like, oh,
0: well, thank you. I, I mean, I am incredibly biased, of course, but I yes. love the way it turned out and the way it looks. Um, And I feel like this is like as goth a cover as I could have without it being like in black and silver. And uh, so I am very, very pleased with that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to talk about the title story because all the hometowns you can't stay away from. We talked a little bit about what a good title that is. I think anybody who's left their hometown and then came back to it, it kind of has the same feel. I didn't necessarily have that journey. Like, I later in life, I chose to live in Denver and I loved that place. And whenever I decided I needed to move, I also returned to it like four different times. Um, I ended up moving away from Denver. But what I think is really interesting about this is just what a universal story it is. Because even at the beginning, you're talking, you know, you, you know, you're saying you instead of me. And then you go, oh, me, though, is like the person who's actually telling this story. I'm just kind of trying to, like, psych myself up to go do this. And, yeah, there was just something that I thought was so, so many people would be able to read this and be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Yep, <laughs> that's what it's like. And so it's kind of a sci-fi story, but it's also not at all because it feels what life is like, kind of.
0: Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, You know, this is one of those that it's been really gratifying to me because specifically I've heard from lots of queer folks about this deep ambivalence about where they come from, especially If they were raised someplace that maybe has a lot going for it, but like deep support of queer folks is not one of those things, Mm -hmm. which I think is true for a lot of us. So it was really fun to explore that and to see where it took me. Uh, And then it's also this story that like there's this idea that what science fiction is or should be is the literalization of metaphor, And I have never really been on board with that. Um, I tend to think about image rather than metaphor. But like all the hometowns is this story that is, I think, the closest I've ever been to like, here is my metaphor. And it's just (laughs) like, yeah, you can't go home again. Right. Yeah. Which I think, you know, has always meant something very particular to me as someone who left Kansas thinking, ha-ha, never again. <laughs> and then four years later, was back, and I'm still back. And I'm like, oh, okay.
1: Yeah, like, oh, no, maybe I'm actually back. But then you still can't really go home, right? You're still, like, living a different life in a way. There's, like, landmarks and all of that. But I think that that's part of what the story is about, right? Is, like, you have these signifiers kind of across the, – the main character has signifiers across all of these different realities – that either are the same or they've slightly changed, but ultimately everything is the same in a lot of ways. But you change, right? So I think, yeah, this was such a good story. And the whole time I was like, oh my God, this is me. But it's like a lot of people, I think.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you. Like the, you know, it's, it's gratifying to uh, feel that like that tapped into something that has that a lot of people relate to, right? That's, as a writer, you really don't know that until the thing's out in the world. So it's like, ooh, yes, thanks, wonderful.
2: (laughs) You know, I I love the story. I think it's really haunting. You know what's wild? And forgive me if we can cut this, if this is offensive. It kind of reminds me of Rick and Morty. (laughs) <laughs> because of the way they have to like move dimensions when shit goes south, and I—that's I, actually one of my favorite things of Rick and Marty. Because I think it's played for like comic effect, but it's deeply tragic. It's heart wrenching and terrible. And that's what I—that part that I loved about it was like, oh, I'm never home because I don't want to give away the twist of the story. But because of that—that—that that, that thing we find out. It it just, I guess it just made me feel melancholy, which is what hometown makes me feel anyways. And so I just thought it was great. And then I loved it as the title for the collection because I think it works on multiple levels where kind of all the stories are in some way or another grappling with some sort of sense of, you know, hometown and not being able to stay away from something or both. And I think that just made every story for me kind of resonated at a higher level under that title, which I thought was not always the case when I'm reading short story collections.
0: Thank you. Um, I can tell you that I agonized over possible titles a lot, and I'm really happy to have gone with this one. Um, And I don't think that, like, I am certainly not offended by the Rick and Morty comparison. Um, I guess I'll just, the first of probably many things I'll say to you that, like, will probably get me wrath if a certain kind of person ever finds out about them. But to me, Rick and Morty is with, like, Breaking Bad in this pantheon of shows that are really good and whose audience has largely ruined the experience of the show (laughs) for me.
2: Yes! Yes! On the record. Thank you, Izzy. There we go. Yeah.
0: I mean, I'm, I'm sure I have takes that are, like, going to rile up the kind of people who are going to be into this podcast more. But yeah, I, I always have a soft spot for things that I'm like, oh, this is really good and deeply understood by its own most ardent supporters.
2: Yes, yes, yes. I also feel that way about like Deadpool, where I'm like, the I love Deadpool. And I think a lot of people who love Deadpool would disagree with literally every reason I like Deadpool and also (laughs) probably hate me. And that's like totally fine because that's what I think is cool about fiction is we all get to have like our own little relationships with these characters where I'm like, "Uh, Rick is really proud to be pansexual. I don't know what everyone's talking about. Everyone's like, show (laughs) me that on the screen. I'm like, right there.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. I thought (laughs) thought that was very clear. (laughs)
2: Right? I think more so even in the, the the later seasons. Anyways, anyways, we're not here for Rick and Morty. We're here for you, Izzy. Um, so one of the things that I read about in one of your interviews that goes back to talking about Neon Hemlock a little bit and and Dave Ring was, and I I feel like I discovered maybe a something that I didn't understand or maybe wasn't said, but what I think I understand for the process of pulling this collection together, and Izzy, you will tell me where I'm wrong, is that you started piecing together a series of published, already published stories that have been published in like Apex and freaking everywhere, Izzy, geez. And then when you and Dave started to work together on it, identified a couple of unpublished stories, stories that hadn't been added, that hadn't been published elsewhere is what I should say. And I'm curious how that conversation with Dave went. Like, was there something missing that you both identified? Was it... You just really loved these stories. Um, I would love to hear more about that.
0: Yeah. um, You know, I am not 100% sure I remember all of the way this went down, but I think the basics of it was uh, I brought the collection to him, having spent a lot of time agonizing over it. And, like, one of the things that happened fairly early in the process before Dave ever saw it was um, lots of my favorite, shorter stories got cut uh, and the reason was that like i couldn't figure out how to make them integrate into the collection right like every time somebody starts a new story you're in a collection you're asking them to like reset their brain to sort of as this ground state um and so there were just like there were these like 500,000 word um stories um including you know one of the uh ones that I published with Decoded Pride um, fit that. And I was just like, oh, I like this, but I can't figure out how to make it work. So then I had this shape that I liked for the collection, finally, after much agonizing. And once Dave said, I, you know, I want to publish this, we started talking about what is missing. Are there stories that aren't tonally appropriate here or that feel like they're not, you know, on the level of other things in the collection? And then I sent him. I think maybe four ish things that I'm like, these are things that I feel are worthy of being published, but I've never found the right publisher for. And so then we just sort of talked through like, well, which of these work and which of them add something like add a new flavor to this collection that wasn't there before. Um, and Dave was great about that. Cause I can trust him to be like, Oh, this, this doesn't fit or whatever. And, um, that's very important to me for a lot of reasons, not the least of which being that, like, I often need other people to tell me what's working in my work. Like, often I need to be like, hey, I need an outside view of this because I don't have perspective on it anymore. Um, and Dave was and is amazing at that.
2: That's awesome. I really, I really love the idea of sort of bringing puzzle pieces together in, in that, and then sort of seeing how it clicks. I do think a lot of, for me at least, a lot of creativity is deep anguish. <laughs> just horrible anguish. And then something Oh clicked. my God,
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, if you're very lucky, the deep anguish then leads to something clicky. Yes. Yes.
2: Well said. There are many, many a scrapped story where the anguish just really feels like it led nowhere.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it led to more anguish.
2: Surprise. Yay. <laughs> well actually, is he like I I again I wish I remember what interview I read this in. That was something you said where you were like, oh, sometimes the creative process isn't isn't shiny. It's it's painful. And I would love to, you know, I think I think that it's easy to romanticize writing. <laughs> Cause like, oh, I sit in a room surrounded by books just bringing br- brilliance out of my head every time. Yes, 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 quite quite quite. Quite quite verily. Um but you know I really identified with the idea of that 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 wrestling that pain, that anguish and I if you're willing to I'd love to hear more about how you you know have maybe come to terms with that or or even learned to accept that part of the writing process for yourself because I think it's something that turns a lot of people off of writing. Is so they're like oh this isn't easy. So Maybe I shouldn't do it. It's like, oh, no, I I don't. Every writer I talk to, <laughs> I haven't met anyone who's like, oh, this is easy breezy. But I would love to hear more about, like, how do you, I don't know, make friends with the the hard parts or at least sustain yourself through them as, as a writer?
0: Oh, I love that question so much. I've been thinking about this a lot for a couple reasons, one of which is I went off into the woods with some friends over the summer and did a little four day writing retreat and they were talking about like the joy and pleasure of writing as needing to be its own reward. And I'm like, boy, you know, often it's not a joy and a pleasure to me. Like there's a joy and pleasure in accomplishing a thing that I feel really proud of. But often for me, the process is difficult and sometimes painful. Um, Like with like, uh, little detours into cul-de-sacs of despair. And it has been a challenge, and it is a challenge. Like, uh, if you spoke to my therapist, I'm sure she would tell you about how many hours worth of sessions I have spent complaining about my work or my how I feel about it or this or that. Um, but then, you know, I did not really know how to conceptualize the way I felt about it until quite recently when I was struggling with a new project that I was doing something I'd never done before. um, And a friend of mine, Alexandra Manglis uh, uh, said to me, Izzy, your process with something new, a new challenge that you, that you've never taken on before is always you panic and say, you can't do it. And then you do it. And I have never been so simultaneously felt supported and called out in the same moment as I did right then.
2: <laughs> You're seen in a really well.
0: <laughs> I, yeah, I was seen so well that I felt like I'd been nuked from orbit. Um, uh, and then I started to realize like, oh, this is uh, this is so much of my experience, right? Like I don't really anymore, but for years. Uh, my non writing hobby was very slowly doing distance running. And I am not a skilled athlete. I like to say that the reason that I run long distances is because moving forward slowly takes very little skill, uh, right? And it really does. But it, what it does take is this like willingness to get comfortable with This is going to be long and hard, and when it's done, you're going to feel sore, but also you're going to have done the thing, and Mm. apparently my brain really loves that, so make of that what you will. I don't know what to make of it, but like (laughs) my brain seems to insist that I take on challenges even though I'm going to be cranky and sometimes miserable while doing them.
2: Mm. I love that. Yeah, I. I uh, you talked about your therapist. I remember once complaining to my therapist about writing, and she's like, "Well, you you could not write," and I was like, oh,
0: "What? Yep." Then what? Yep. What?
2: No, that's not. And she was like, "Exactly. Your reaction is exactly what I wanted you to understand. This yes. is a part of your process." And I was like, oh, "You clever bitch. You I tricked know. me into my own thoughts.
0: You made me consider that the thing that's more miserable than." writing is deciding not to write. Ooh, um, that's yeah. too real. How sneaky. Um, <laughs> but yes, I I really, I'm so delighted that you bring this up because like I am happy for the people who for whom it's a joy. But I think there are a lot of people for whom it is labor. And mm-hmm. labor is not inherently bad, right? But it is challenging. And like I... I want people to know that they're not alone mm-hmm. if their experience of writing is painful sometimes.
2: Yeah, I wonder if this happens too. Like, for me, it's different kinds of pain. So, like, one kind of pain is like, ah, oh, this is just like I, I, uncomfortable. Maybe the, the thing that I'm writing about is scary, or re- revisit some of my own trauma, or what have you. Or maybe it's, you know, I have to empathize with an incel. Sarah knows I have been working on a couple of podcast episodes about an incel. And, you know, that, that's painful in a different way because lots of, like, upsetting research. But even Oof, when yeah. it flows for me, like, I just wrote this novel and it just, like, it just poured out of me. And it was, like, 13 days of just, like, oh, Izzy, I lost my mind. Sarah knows. I was just, like, texting nonsense yep. at all times. <laughs> Like referencing things. Sarah's like, we've never, what are you even talking about? We have never discussed this. I'm like, oh, that was in my book. Never mind. <laughs> and even then it, it it was flowing. So there was like the ooh, yum, it's flowing. It feels good. It feels juicy. But it was like I couldn't, it was like being possessed. Like it was, it was on top of me. Like if I wasn't writing every day, if I took a day off, I'd be like, all I did was think about this fucking book. It was easier to sit down and write than to not write because it was so. It was so um, all over me, you know? It wasn't like a pleasant sort of like, ooh, I'm like having fun. It was like, if I don't do this, I will I will die. You know, that's not real, but that's how it felt, that com- that compulsion to write that story. I'm curious for you, are there different flavors of difficult and uh, maybe painful discomfort, or or does it all kind of have a theme? Or I don't know, I'm curious about... <laughs> Tell me more about your different kinds of pain.
0: Yes, I am... <laughs> To a frankly embarrassing degree, my tendencies are goth. So, telling me about telling people about my pain is like right in line with that, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, the I think there is something really keenly observed in that uh, because yeah, people want to be inspired by the muse, right? Until you realize that that like what we're describing when we say that like being overtaken by inspiration is itself. A kind of burden, right? Like um, when the words are coming good, that's also its own challenge. Um, So I think, yeah, I think there are lots of different kinds of this for me, and there are certainly times where things are going well, and I will lose two hours, and then I'll look up and I'll be like, "Oh, lots of words," and I don't hate all of these. Yay, this is unexpected. Um, But you know, that doesn't mean that there aren't times when it feels like pulling teeth or that I have to, I write a lot and then think to myself, what am I doing? Um, or um, write something and and worry the entire time I'm writing it that it's just a bad knockoff of a story that I deeply admire, right? Which I don't know if, if either of you have had that experience, but it is a constant yapping in the back of my head, like, oh, all you're doing is something that's like, 80% of the really good thing.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I think that's part of genre writing because you really have to walk the line, right? Of being like, I'm halfway using <laughs> something that's, you know, maybe a really common trope, but then I'm also halfway doing all this other stuff, you know? So, And then sometimes I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> Is this, does this, Um, am I? And you're just like, you know what? Why don't you
0: just take it easy? Right, right. Get to the end of the story. (laughs) Yeah, and sometimes you don't know, at least also, let me rephrase. Sometimes I don't know while I'm writing it, is this anything, right? Is it just a bad pastiche of tropes that I love, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And like, I'll know that later, maybe. Um, Or I'll know it when um, an editor is like, Yes, I enjoy this enough to give you money for it. And I'm like, oh well, that's a good sign that it worked pretty well for somebody.
1: Yeah, I'm always just like, Well, it's up to the people now. <laughs> I'll finish a story and be like, because I do a lot of horror. So it'll you'll make it to this place where you're like, Is that like too much? And then you're like, Well, I guess I'll know when I get cancelled.
0: <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Oh, now yeah, now talk about pain, right? It's like Um, Oh, I wish I could remember who to credit for this, but I read recently somebody talking about how like one of the hardest impulses as a writer is to not preemptively listen to bad faith critiques. Right.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, And I have that right now. I'm uh, shopping a novella and there's a scene in it that is crucial to it, in my view, and the reason I wanted to write it. And I'm also like, oh, this is this could easily get weaponized against me right and it could get weaponized against me and the trans community but also like right writing publicly as a queer person is to be vulnerable to bad faith attacks yeah, all the time it's like anyway anything
1: <laughs> oh anything God. you
2: write <laughs> breathing breathing can get you criticized <laughs> you know
1: the book gender queer getting so many people are like trying to ban it from libraries and in some cases succeeding and it's like it's wild like you're really just you know that to me is not a book that anybody could easily find offensive, unless they were just a bigot. Perhaps they are the ones who have a trans agenda.
0: Right? What? what? Come on. (laughs) You you only say that because it's clearly true.
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, uh, you know what I was thinking about was... You know how it is. Like I'm always catching the end part of an argument people are having on Twitter. And I'm like, yeah. oh insightful ending. Don't know what the antecedent is, but here we are. <laughs> um but someone was saying, you know, like I'm they were like, I, you know, you got you all should go read some of these Goodreads reviews because people sometimes are giving people low stars because they think a book is problematic, because a character in the book thought something that was not good. And mm. I was just like, I forgot that people don't get that sometimes you're supposed to hate
1: people in books (laughs) right right and sometimes they're flawed in horror people are like this made me uncomfortable and it's like I know right (laughs) like (laughs) totally hence the
2: horror yes it
1: made me uncomfortable (laughs) like writing it you know that's kind of how it feels yeah, you're the you're the king of like being like this made me extremely uncomfortable when I wrote it. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, no, I can see that, Sarah. <laughs> what
0: happens on page four is a lot, <laughs> right? I'm just like artfully there done. you are. Or just this, like, um, you know, what that really made me think of is how much one of the things I love most in the world is when. Queer characters are allowed to be messy. Yes, and that was my best the, question. Yes, in the same way that, like, like I have said before, I will not be satisfied until, like, it's okay for a trans woman in a story to be um, deeply fucked up in the way that, like, Walter White is. Yeah. it's like let it, let me let us have the fact that we get to be full people, including be deeply problematic sometimes because people are and like if if queer characters have to be perfect if they if they are never objectionable or problematic then you're saying that like we're not allowed to be full people and I just cannot with that.
2: Thank you. And 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 for me it I think too it's like well they're not real to me because I've done terrible things in my life. And every person I love, every person I know has to <laughs> because that's being alive you're you're gonna make mistakes and sometimes like there's malicious shit I've done oh this is a wild example but I feel like you all would appreciate please it.
0: bring it on please when
2: I was six <laughs> oh no I think I was eight my sister and I my dad was a farrier so he would shoe horses and he had an anvil and all this shit and when I was eight I was like Hey, to my sister, was like, hey, put your finger in the vice. I promise, I promise I won't do anything. She was like, ah, oh, no. <laughs> All right, cool. Put her finger in the vice. And I remember, I remember being so little and thinking, you know, you really shouldn't do this. And then going, well, what if I did? And so I released it, crushed her finger. My dad was like, are you fucking kidding me? We are an hour from the nearest doctor right now. And I was just like, I had to know. I had to know where it went from here. (laughs) And and listen, that's that's not even the most malicious thing I've done to someone. That's just funny. Um, My sister would disagree.
1: Yeah, Uh, your sister's just like, "Uh uh-uh, no, no. She's like, let me open my notebook of the worst things you've ever done to me. (laughs) That's not even at the top. Yeah, Um, sadly, that one's actually pretty low-ranked on the list, (laughs) it turns out. That's how it is between siblings, though. That's real. Oh, God. God. If anybody has a good reason to despise you, it's definitely your siblings because you're just (laughs) like— You remember that time whenever we were kids and I accidentally put my brother's head through a window one time which like that was an accident actually but it was like a moment of just being like oh no like we both like looked at each other like ah this way that got real like (laughs) I didn't mean to do that because the uh, glass was just really brittle so I like grabbed him by his head and went boop like on the glass and it was like (laughs) 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 and then like we had to like walk in and be like um so like Trey's head like broke the glass um, somehow (laughs) and I can't really figure out what happens leading up to it I don't really know how this could have occurred. But Mm. anyway, the point is is that (laughs) we're problematic. (laughs) Cancel bitches on comics because we are problematic. If Um, anybody is going to, our siblings are going to. (laughs) Like, trust me.
0: They're running the cancel
1: campaigns.
0: (laughs) The dirt that they have. You have me beat. I once, horsing around with my brother, put his full back through the basement wall <laughs> like, didn't like didn't know I was doing it like he had grabbed me around the neck and we were just roughhousing you know uh, <laughs> and like oh my god like right through the dry wall um, <laughs> and uh we were both fine but like we thought we are in all of the trouble in the universe here um <laughs> And thankfully, we were not in as much trouble as we feared. But, uh, oh, yeah, all my siblings, like, (laughs) I have a great relationship with them now. But, like, I guarantee that if you went into any of them and you're like, tell me, some story about how Izzy was shitty to you, they'll have fun. <laughs> then like, oh, yeah.
2: I have five top of mind. I think about these ones every day. That's right. Um, yeah, no. And 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 like I think that you know, those are all I love that we all had a very cute hurt my sibling story. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> like that was really sweet. It for some reason seems relevant to the book as well. Like I, you know. You know. And like, I think there
2: are great examples of like if if you just put that in a book without any of the context, right? Of like, smushed sibling's f- finger through f- sibling through wall through sibling <laughs> through window. We'd all that be like, "Oh my god!" Grew this up is to be a serial matter. <laughs> yeah. But instead, it's like this is just life. You make mistakes, you know. You hurt each other. You hopefully try to do better in the future. And and sometimes shit's just life is weird. Life is weird. And sometimes I think to myself, I'm going to make a decision in this moment. And then I'm going to have behavior related to a decision I made. And sometimes I am a traumatized lizard who is just like react, fight, run, whatever feels right. You know, and so like that's not, of course I'm problematic sometimes because I have lived through some shit And so, of course, queer and trans people are problematic and should be in our stories at the very least so we can fucking engage with what it means to be alive. We can engage with what it means to make mistakes. God damn, I don't want to be perfect. I just want to keep trying.
0: Yeah, fuck yeah. Um, And then you add to that a thing that I'm obsessed with um, that may or may not be because I have lain awake many nights thinking about times like this for me is like... It's one thing when you hurt somebody because you like either I know this is going to hurt them or I know this has the possibility of hurting them. It's another when you try to do the kind thing Ugh. and it turns out worse than not having tried to do it. And it's like, um, you know, I have anxiety, so my brain likes to remind me of shit that I did when I was fifteen Oof. for the rest of time. Real talk. Yeah. So it's a lot, um, but you know, I want and need those. Messy bitches in my stories, for sure. (laughs) Yes.
2: Well, and you know, I think that's another reason I love this collection so much. I think what makes the stories so engaging is I think across the board, we see people doing something, right? Like they're trying to make a difference. They're trying to change their own life, change their society, what have you. But that doesn't mean they always succeed. And sometimes they really do make things a lot worse. And that is beautiful because it's easy to do nothing, it's a lot harder to try and accept that, yeah, you might be successful and you might fuck everything up.
0: Yeah. Um, you, you know, thank you. That That's a really important idea to me. And, you know, like I think a bit at, at that, at that like personal level and also at the societal level. Like one of the hard truths about revolution is that sometimes you rebel against something that needs rebellion against, and then you win. And then the thing that... Um, Uh, replaces it is bad, as bad or worse, right? Like I think a lot about um, memoirs I've read from like the Iranian revolution and people who had no desire whatsoever to have a theocratic government set up, right? They were trying to overthrow a totalitarian state and they did and, but you don't get to, you don't get any guarantee about what comes next, right? And so like, I don't want I don't want it to be too easy. I don't want to pretend that, like, um, that we do the hard work of changing the world and that doesn't come with risk. You know, so that's, like, that's heartening to hear because it's a really, it's really sort of fundamental to the way I think about these things.
1: In the story collection, were there things that you are going to return to in the future? And that can be themes or just any specific story that you were like, I'm going to do a longer version of that, or I'm just going to revisit this. I didn't get to do every single thing I wanted to do.
0: Uh, you know, I think there are. I never really know which things my brain is going to let me actually write, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but at a thematic level. I guess maybe I shouldn't say this because it feels like the kind of thing that has potential to ruin the experience of reading my stories but I feel like <laughs> 80% of my stories are like fucked up queer people try to build community in the in a shitty situation and maybe punch some fascists um yep and like
1: <laughs> that that reads actually yeah, yeah. and I'm
0: like I've had people express surprise when I say that I'm like oh I thought that was I thought that was my whole brand right um but yeah like there's um a story that wasn't previously published in here that I am deeply fond of because it was a nightmare to write uh, is the case of the Sohn Museum Thefts. And those characters... Oh, my God. Uh, I want to come back to them. I've, I'm looking for the right story.
2: Oh, my God, please. You have to. It's... Uh, oh, I
0: love this story so much. It's so good. Well, thank you. Um, I, I will admit to being very proud of that one because... It took me years and a near-complete teardown and rewrite to get it where I wanted it. Um, and that was only possible because lots of people with different positionality than me like gave me things to think through and ways to approach it. Um, so like, it's, it's definitely a story that if it works, it works because other people were kind enough to help me, someone like – born and raised in the heart of America to write a post-colonial and anti-colonial story. Uh, So I'm really grateful for that.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I could see a whole world built around this, like, this new group that forms toward the end of the story. Like, it's just, the world building's really tight in that story. I mean, your world building, I think, uh, and anything of yours I've read has been always just... Top notch. And I think in this one, it's so, you know, we've been talking a lot about, you know, giving objects back. Huh, what a concept. And it's such a fun way. One of those, it's one of those conversations that's timeless, you know. This isn't a new thing that we've been talking about. Maybe newer to like some, you know, white folks, including myself, but not new in sort of the annals of history. Like, oh, British people shouldn't take everyone's shit. What?
0: Novel idea. That.
2: <laughs> That's wild. But I think what makes this story so rich, and I, you know, it actually reminds me of um the second story we published of yours in Decoded Pride 3, These Whispering Remains, where it's a sort of known format, known sort of issue, but dealt with in such a, I'm going to say distinctly Izzy way. Like, yes, let's give credit to everybody who read it. Thank you for your work. You all fucking rule. And there's this distinct sort of lens of, oh, I'm gonna present everything as one thing. And then I'm gonna even surprise the main character with some new dimension they're not gonna quite figure out till right at the end. And I have honestly as a writer, I've taken so much inspiration from that from you of thinking about like how do we how do we engage with, you know, whiteness and white privilege in in characters that that carry that as authors who have that, how do we create these little, you can't see my hands. <laughs> I'm like sort of like moving. It's like, I'm a DJ with one hand and the other is a foot pressing a pedal. I don't really know what it means, but I think if you could see me, you'd be like, mm-hmm, yes, of course. But it's like, we're like the sort of two currents that are running different or maybe 10 currents, let's say running in different directions in the story. And it's, it's, there's something so powerful in that moment. And I remember this in These Whispering Remains when the main character, Danny gets caught in this new current and she realizes she's not
0: the chosen
2: one because there's there's really no such thing. You're, you're not the only person who can X. And, and I remember that feeling too here with the case of the so museum thefts where there was this moment of like, oh, I've figured it all out and I'm doing it. But then it was like, oh, did you? And that, I just think there's something really special and powerful in there. And I don't think I have a question. I think I just wanted to share all my thoughts there.
0: <laughs> well, that's exceptionally flattering. Thank you. Um, yeah, like, um, as someone who feels like I'm never doing enough, right, that I'm never doing as much as I could be for other people, um, you know, that I'm, I I always want to be doing more. Um, and I think that, like, fundamental to my worldview is that we don't do anything alone, right? That like the stuff that people have told me resonates with them in my stories exists there because lots of people have befriended me and showed me kindness and helped me understand the world in new ways, right? And that's how things get done, right? Like I hate chosen one narratives. I cannot deal with them, right? Because it's like we're not the chosen ones. We are individuals who together maybe can do things that are worthwhile. And, you know, the, um, I am like, I, I don't know, I'm, I worry that this, that this sounds overly serious or whatever, but I just am really grateful for the many, many people who have helped me to understand the world more richly um, and to be less of like a dumbass white girl, um, less being the operative world, not, I'm, I'm clearly still a dumbass white girl. But it's there are ways in which I'm not as much as I used to be, and that's because other people helped me. and I'm just exceptionally lucky to have had that experience.
1: We talked about that before because we did a, a, what was it, a review of Kismet Man of Faith, right? or Man of Faith that's the name of it. So it is basically the same thing. You have like this narrative of kind of a superhero and then he steps down from being a superhero and is like, actually, I just want to help you all. Does somebody else have ideas? Because it, we've all just been hearing me talk for a hot second. And it's a great comic. <laughs> it's like one of my favorite comics ever. Um, I have no idea when we talked about that. That was, like, a while ago. But I like it whenever stories are like that.
0: Oh, I need to seek that out. I'm thinking of, like, a comic that I have really mixed feelings about. Um, uh, but I did do one thing I really loved, which is Invincible. And mm-hmm. there's fairly early on, there's a character who just, like, nopes out of superheroing and says, you know, my I could do more traveling around the world and using my powers to restore cropland than I ever could do beating up bad guys. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely you could. Like, what the hell is Superman doing? Like, (laughs) save the world. Like, you know, don't, like, you you don't have to beat up every bad guy to do that. Uh, I guess Batman's maybe the better example, right? Like, you're a billionaire and the best thing you could think to do with your money is beat up street-level criminals? Like, come on, dude.
1: He's just like, you know what? I'm going to take this guy out. He's like, I could work out in a gym, but I really find the interactive
2: parkour
0: (laughs) shreds the abs. (laughs) That's right. I really like knowing that like some dude who's snatching purses is terrified of the idea that I might drop down in front of him. Like that's just my whole life right there.
2: (laughs) I mean, like Batman, because I think that it's realistic, actually. That, like, a very rich white <laughs> it's man. actually very <laughs> realistic. <laughs> I'm like, it's a documentary um, <laughs> about white men. Uh, yeah, no, I, you know, but I get, I, the critique, I think, is is well taken, certainly. Um, I like that. Batman,
0: too. Don't get me wrong. I just, oh, yeah. I just think he's sort of a villain.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, I, oh God, I was just talking to a friend, like, I love a story where I'm like, wait a minute. I thought you were the good guy. Are you a bad guy? <laughs> like that's like wait a minute i enjoy that are we the baddies
0: yeah that whole thing
2: <laughs> yeah i'm like wait a minute i want harley to beat you
0: hmm mm.
2: who's the bad guy really um so that leads me to who's the bad guy really so i think i said before we started that one of my questions was just a cab and <laughs> um you know it it's actually a little bit more nuanced because I was thinking about the first time I ever knew you existed, and it was you sent in your flash story, Seven Plans of the League of Villainous Empowerment to Break Atomic Patriots Hold on Star City. The title is almost as long as the story, which is like part of what I loved about it. I was like, this is so ballsy. And it is just like such a lovely story. But I remember when you wrote your your cover letter, and I typically do not remember people's cover letters because I'm like... It's cool, like, you don't have to flex. And you were just like, you know what? I was really into how you all wanted to be anti-fascist, and this is my, like, fuck fascism story and fuck fascist superheroes. And I was like, oh, please go on. <laughs> and the story is, it's such a quick sip, and it's like a, you know, a numbered list, which I think is also, there's there's something really rapid about numbered lists as stories. And it is profound. The deep, The depths of it are just, like, that ending. Oh, my God, Izzy, that ending. And and I remember thinking, hmm, ACAB. I'd like to see an ACAB story in this. Beautiful. And then that comes back in these whispering remains. And it comes back in, I mean, half the stories in all the hometowns you can't stay away from, if not explicitly. And so, you know, we've talked about punching fascists and ACAB. And I think that, you know, there's that's a real heart of part of the work you're doing. And I think I could guess as to why, right? Like I could speculate all day, but I want to hear from you, you know, why is that a thread that you come back to again and again? And, you know, I, I, I have a second part, but let me hear that part. And then it, we'll see if the second part actually solidifies <laughs> into something where if it's just me going, ah! <laughs> uh,
0: absolutely. Um, the, uh, first, let me just say, um, thank you for reading the full title. Um, I am keenly aware that my titles are long and pretentious, um, and, I love them. Well, thank you. I am a big fan, but I also love puns, so I am not to be trusted. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do know that. <laughs> League of villainous empowerment, get out! I love it. Yeah, I know. I I am. Uh, I I love me a good dad joke. I'm all about that. Um, <laughs> I have complex feelings. Maybe maybe more complex than the fact that like I went out of my way to make an ACAB joke in that story and. Um, and stuff like that. Um, You know, I, politically, I am an anarchist. Um, It's easy to dunk on anarchists, and gods know we deserve it a lot of the time. But, you know, I believe that um, hierarchies of power are incredibly damaging to humans, and always have been, and always will be. Um, And uh, cops exist to protect the hierarchies of power. Um, And That's not to say that um, I think by any means that every um, cop uh, means to do harm or is a bad person, Um, but I think um, that, you know, it's, it's, I think it's unquestionably true that lots of people are harmed by the police. Uh, And I'm not, you know, to be, to be blunt, you know, I work as a teacher at a college and Um, college faculty are complicit in these same systems of power. Like, we don't get a pass on that. Um, So on the one hand, like, I always want my stories to reflect that I think that people who are empowered by the state to commit violence uh, are going to do bad things because that's part of the trade-off that you get. Um, On the other hand, like, we're all complicit in the ills of our society. And the more power we have, the more complicit we are. So like, I, I always want to be like a cab because cops are a key part of a deeply broken system. Right. But at the same time, I am keenly aware that lots of people become cops because they want to help their neighborhoods or they want to feed their family or they want to make some kind of difference and this is the way they can see to do it, right? So like, I don't know. I don't know if any of that makes sense, but that's sort of where I come in, I guess. No,
2: for sure. I I think, you know, one of the things that broke a cab open for me in a whole new way was like, yeah, but that also means the cop inside you. Like you have to deprogram the cop inside of you because as exactly what you're saying, Izzy, like because we're all raised up in the society, particularly the three of us as white people, there's an internalization of this system of power and of protecting power. Whether how conscious it is, you know, can be a gift of parenting, a gift of therapy, a gift of self-creation, but it takes work. And I think that the reason I love ACAP is I think that more than anything, it makes me hold myself accountable for dismantling the cop inside me because there is one there. And I see them sometimes and I'm like, no, no, no. We don't need any fucking cops here, Red. Like, chill out. right? And, and I think that's actually probably some of the most important work to do around Cap. You know, what do I know? But that's my opinion.
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah, I mean, I have. I'm in the process of trying to radically reimagine what my classroom looks like. Um, because I'm like, it's, it's shitty that like people's, like their scholarships may depend on whether they get a certain grade in my class, Mm. you know? And it's like, what does that grade mean? Like, can I or anyone articulate, um, with like definitively the difference between an A paper in an English class and a B plus plus paper? Mm. I would argue, no. Um, and so you know, I, I try to I try to work on that. And yeah, like I love that. And I'm gonna shamelessly steal it. The idea of like a cab as a self critique is I just adore that. Thank you.
2: Oh, and I stole it from someone else. So keep, I think it's like keep it. Well, let's take out stole. I learned it from someone else. And there you go. We're, we're dismantling that cop too. There's no stealing of ideas.
0: Yeah. What? A, <laughs> I, I, that's true. I'm trying to do better at not using dumb capitalist metaphors. Four things we're like, mm. like, no, that's not it. Like the I, I was trained to use to think about endings of stories as something that the rest of the story earns. Mm. Um, and I'm now like, no, it's a thing that the rest of the story cultivates. It's not Ooh. a transaction, it's Ooh. something that you grow towards.
2: Oh shit. I'm gonna have to fucking write that down. Okay. Sarah, you asked a question. I have to write this down.
1: Okay, yeah, I was just gonna say the that- I think cops are the worst and it makes it really easy for me to think that when I read these stories, there is a lot of uh, power structures coming into question. There is a part at the end of the book that is all story notes. I wanted to talk about that because not every story collection has something like this, but I wish that they did because it's very informative to read kind of a little paragraph on what your thoughts were whenever you were Getting the story together, where you sent it, like all of that kind of stuff. So I was curious, was that a conscious thing? Like, were you just like, I have to have story notes? Was it a suggestion? How did that go down? Uh, Thanks for
0: asking. Uh, Nobody, I think, has ever asked me about the story notes. Um, Mm,
1: I love them. Yeah, it was one of my favorite parts because I love to hear what people think about their work, right? It's always interesting.
0: You know, I love me some story notes. Adore them. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, like uh, an author I really admire who's also somebody who's been incredibly generous to me and to many other people in our careers is Andy Duncan. Um, And Eddie Duncan writes gorgeous story notes that also if you ever meet him, you'll be able to hear all the story notes in his voice. Mm. Um, And so it's like, I, I really have come to love them. I originally was not going to... Include them, and for a bunch of reasons. But I think maybe fundamentally was this concern that like uh, they were going to be pretentious or assuming things that people would care about things that only I cared about. Um, and what tipped me uh, into changing my mind was a couple things. One was some friends had been gently saying, "Like, no, Izzy, if you like this in other people's collections, you should do it in yours," <laughs> um, which I fair, I suppose. I sort of resent that, but yeah, fair. Um, And then, you know, one of the last stories to get added to this collection, maybe the last one, was uh, Five Reasons for the Sign Above Her Door, one of them unspoken. And a friend said to me specifically, you know, you could use the story notes to have, like, a physical representation of this blog post you wrote about it. Um, Because, you know, blogs on the Internet come and go – right in a way that like a physical copy continues to exist. Mm-hmm. And I it was important enough to me that like like that bit of of blog post was was meaningful to me and so I was like okay that's a that's a great freaking point um I should do this. And so then it was like oh now I get to use this as a way to talk about things I like or just observe little things that I don't think are clear in the story but I enjoy knowing and thought well maybe somebody will think this is fun or whatever
1: I'm the demographic I'm the one <laughs> yay I was very excited about it I read the show or the show notes because we're on a podcast the story notes at the uh, at the end of every story but then also I read them all at once after I'd finished the book and I was like oh yeah because it kind of helped me you know how it is whenever you read a bunch of short stories in a row and you're like I remember this one and this one. And then you're like, wait, there were other ones. And then you're like, oh, wait, so I've got these show notes. And then you go back through it and you're just like, yep. (laughs) Okay, cool. It like solidifies and like refreshes everything in your mind. And I think that there's something really fun about them.
2: So Izzy, obviously, uh, this has been a blast, laughed my ass off, felt some feelings, etc. I got one more question for you, and it's sort of built on a transcript I read from your interview with Julia Rios over on their podcast. And you said something to the effect of you were like, oh, I don't know if anyone knows this, but the three parts of the book are broken into sort of like themes. And so the first section is grief and trauma. The second section is radicalization. And the third section is community. And just so many galaxy brain things are happening for me. So I'm like, okay, I think I see a bunch of things happening. And so I'm just going to barf them at you. And then you're going to go like, yes, no, maybe. I like it. I hate it. Get
0: Love it. it. Um, here for whatever it.
2: works for you. <laughs> So part of me was like, you know, coming on the heels of talking about A.C.A.B., talking about fascism, talking about being an anarchist. Part of me is like, is like, is this kind of the arc of of what it, how you become an anarchist? Because I, I too am an anarchist. You know, like, is it going through grief and trauma, becoming radicalized by those experiences, and then, you know, creating, finding community? Is that the coming out experience? You know, that sounds like it for me as a non-binary and trans person. A lot of grief and trauma, not understanding why I didn't fit in. Being radicalized by other trans people. What up? I love us all. And then, you know, finding trans community. Is it all of them? Is it something else?
0: Oh, I love that so much. Um, like, I... if This is an audio medium, so I can't just do the thing that I want to do, which is just, like, grin and wave my arms enthusiastically. Because uh, <laughs> I love all of that. And, like, yeah, for me, these things are all interrelated. Like, the... I love speculative fiction, right? I love writing it. I love reading it. I love talking about it um, with you two amazing humans. And like, um, it's, but the thing that I've loved most about it, I think is that even though it's a field like any other that has problematic things and problematic people and its difficulties and, you know, periodic attempts by fascists to take it over, um, it has changed my life, and the biggest way it's changed my life is by m- giving me a community of queer people who like the same nerdy shit that I do. So, like, I don't—I can't even tell you that, like, I was thinking about that arc as being like a a coming out arc or a trans arc or or any of that stuff, but like. Now that you say it, I'm like, oh, that's really smart. So, like, I am going to say, yes, absolutely. Of course, always my plan, <laughs> 100%. It was, it's the whole basis of the whole collection. <laughs> that's right. Like, of course it is. I just didn't know it until you told it to me. So, you know, great. But isn't that part of writing, sort of discovering? Oh,
2: you actually, I think in this same interview or in one of the interviews I read of yours, this is a good segue, someone was like, okay, what's the, like the theme? And you were like, You know, there is one, but that's not really how I think as a writer. It's more I discover themes as I sort of edit and go back through. And I'm like, this is exactly that, sort of discovering those connections. Because, like, stories, you finish writing them, but they're never really done, right? They live inside you. They live on the page. They live inside of now all of your readers' heads. So very cool.
0: Well, thank you. That's I will say that, like, the thing that I dream of more than any other as a writer is just that somewhere out there, there are people, so there, there may be people who carry around a story of mine in the way that I carry around the stories that I most treasure. Where, like, this is a thing I cling to at certain points in my life, and it just, like, hit me in the right moment. And so, if that happens for any reader, like, I have done the thing, and I am overjoyed.
1: I personally really loved this book. I think everybody should check it out. I'm obsessed, and I am very excited to see what you have coming up along the
0: horizon. The next thing that I know is coming out with my work in it is um, Android Press is putting out a uh, anthology called "Fighting for the Future: Cyberpunk and Solarpunk Tales." Um, that you can find, uh, that easily on social media. And I have a story on there called do anarchists dream of collective sheep, um, which is ah! itself deeply nerdy.
2: <laughs> that name.
0: Uh, well, thank you. I, I really worried I might be the only one who cared for it. Um, but, uh, uh, so that's coming out. Uh, I have a couple other stories and things that I don't think have been officially announced yet, but are, um. But look for those. I will hype them up on social media. Um, what else? The uh, I guess I could say briefly that my uh current project and the reason I have not written much in the way of short stories of late is that I'm hard at work on a novel that I have been describing as um Alien meets Gideon the Ninth meets C.L. Clark's The Unbroken. Um, so if you like uh Queer characters in deeply fucked up, poor adjacent situations, fighting things they don't understand and having lots of feelings. Um uh hopefully it will exist in the world someday.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Um someone get on that. <laughs> someone get on that right now. I I need that book in my hands. The end. Thank you. Yeah. So Izzy, if if people want to, and you want them to, find you online, uh, where can they follow you on social and or do you have a website to share?
0: Uh, yeah, you can find me on social, mostly on uh, the health site that is Twitter. Um, that's at I-Z-Z-Y-X-E-N. Um, that's also my Insta handle, although, as a friend of mine recently pointed out to me, my Insta is like, every few years I'll remember I should try to post things there and then forget again. So that's really not of it much use. So <laughs> Twitter is probably where to find me. Um, the uh, And then you can also find me at... Um, www.izzywasserstein.com. Uh, like I could spell that for you, but like you could also find it linked through Twitter. So that's how to find me.
2: And if you don't want to spell it out here, I mean, because we don't want to spell it out here is what I actually mean to say. Listeners, if you didn't have your pen, go over to our show notes. We will link out to Izzy's Twitter and to her website. So you'll be able to follow up on that. We will also put a link to all the hometowns you can't stay away from because, mm-hmm. like Sarah said, you should read it. Not because I tell you to, but because it's going to be good for your life. Because, but also because I, I told I tell you to. You to. Yeah, <laughs> but, okay, let's be clear. Because Sarah told you to. Yeah. <laughs> no, nobody's just taking my advice here. It's the one-two punch. Um, <laughs> Izzy, oh, my God. Like... I knew that I was a huge fan. Do you know what I mean? Like I've worked with you on your work. I've read your work, but you're just like delightful. This was so fun. You're
1: fun. We had a great time. If you ever want to hang out, just holler. We've got <laughs> our phones on most of the time. Um
0: Oh, hell yeah. Um absolutely. Um thank you both. You have been such a delight. I am so honored to have worked with you. i now gotten to speak with you. Like, I don't know if your listeners can hear it in my voice, but I've just been beaming this whole time. Mm. Y'all are amazing. Thank you so much for having me.
2: Uh, uh, thank you, Kate. Thank you, Monica. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, patrons. Thank you. You know, I'm going to say thank you, life. Today, thank you, Essie. Not a bad day. Oh, you're welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Bitches on Comics. We are a bi-weekly podcast where we talk to your favorite comics and pop culture creators and critics about what matters to them in comics and pop culture, as you might have guessed. You can follow us on Twitter at, at BitchesonComics and on Instagram at, at bitchesoncomics. Our website is brace yourself bitchesoncomics.com. If you go there, you can listen to any of our episodes. And we've got other shit that we put on tabs. I don't remember what it
1: is. I am in charge of updating the website, however, so good luck. Thanks for the heads up. I'll go to this website now. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm SE
2: Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at, at se underscore Fleenor.
1: Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to
2: recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land the Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization.